KJ, I'm autistic and I have ADHD. And sometimes that means I view situations a little bit differently to other people. Over my life that's caused me to want to hold back and not really say what I'm thinking in case it's misinterpreted or I scare people away. But I've decided to just start sharing my thoughts, so welcome to my socially awkward life. So fasting is something that comes up in several areas of my life with different people and usually with very different focuses and not much crossover. My health and wellness friends are super happy to talk about the physical and sometimes mental health benefits of fasting. Not always, but sometimes. And then my church friends will regularly talk about fasting as a spiritual discipline but rarely about physical or mental health benefits. And today I want to talk to you about all of this and pull all these threads together. So hopefully whether you know me from my faith background or my wellness background, you'll find something you agree with and maybe something new or maybe even something that challenges you. I'm a firm believer that your spiritual, mental and physical health are all intertwined anyway. When one is sick, the others will begin to suffer too, maybe not straight away, but eventually. It's really obvious when we look at people who are chronically physically ill, when they're sick for a very long time, that their mental health starts to suffer. And in church or other religious circles, we often talk about how being spiritually sick will eventually manifest in being mentally unwell because you start to feel anxious or depressed when you don't have a right spiritual state and we all know that mental health will affect your physical health people who are depressed will exercise less or um, if you're anxious you hold a lot of tension in your body and unforgiveness can manifest in pain as well and what I want people to understand is it's we tend to focus on that being a one-way transaction but I believe that all three of them are intertwined and we can't improve one without working on all of them. And so when I talk about fasting I want to address all benefits and aspects of your being not just one area. Now we often hear about fasting as a spiritual discipline in churches and particularly as we're coming up to Lent, you might find that you're hearing about it in sermons in the next few weeks as well. Traditionally, it's a time of solemn self-reflection, confessing sin and resolving to live a more godly life. And it echoes the Hebrew festival of Yom Kippur, which comes in the autumn and the Day of Atonement. Growing up in a traditional Christian family, um, when I was a small child, but not necessarily one where we had personal faith. I took part in the sacraments and I was very aware that in Lent you're supposed to give something up for 40 days. But I wasn't necessarily relating that to self-reflection and a commitment to live differently. And often, I think as Christians, we don't realise that that's the case. Many people do, and there, there are obviously people with a faith that has explored these areas, but I think sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap, particularly when something's a ritual that we do regularly, 
of not really thinking too much about it and kind of just going through the motions, especially for those of us who were born into a home that was already doing these things. And it's something I see in the wellness field too. It can be a really popular choice to do a cleanse or to detox for a brief time or do like a month, like a whole 30 or something. And trying to help my clients understand that this was to kickstart a different lifestyle and not just an exercise in denial so that you can binge guilt-free later is actually really difficult. Both in faith and in health, there often seems to be a kind of all or nothing mentality or a badge of honour for being zero tolerance on something. And believe me, I do understand the irony of an autistic person like teaching on this. Um, Obviously, we're known for our black and white thinking. But in this area, it always makes me smile that I see so many neurotypical people who have this black and white thinking on these areas. And the problem with setting a big goal and making a huge deal about what a sacrifice it is for you, you know, and posting all over social media, like, this is my fast, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm giving up, is that we tend to overpromise, which then leads to burnout, or we do manage it, and it leads to pride and self-righteousness. Now, setting a time-constrained goal can be really great for helping you try something out. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But if you're literally saying, I have to start my 30-day cleanse on this date because I'm going to a party and there's going to be loads of treats and alcohol on this date, it kind of defeats the object. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that it's a slippery slope to the kind of binge eating disorders that we normally would characterise as being an eating disorder. The idea that if I deny myself for a certain length of time, then I can go crazy at the end of it. And it also leads to the type of thinking that's used as a counter argument, for example, for juice fasting. You hear people talk about how, well, you see all these improvements, but they disappear within a month or two of the fast ending. And the answer to that is, yeah, absolutely. Of course, if you go back to a diet and lifestyle that made you sick before you took part in the juice fast, your symptoms will return. That's why you were sick in the first place. But if you use a juice fast to break an unhealthy attachment to certain foods or drinks and use it as kind of a reset button to remind you that you want to live healthier going forward, then it can be a really beneficial tool. I've also heard people speak about fasting as denying themselves as a sacrifice for God, which is fine until it becomes this huge badge of honour or pride again. Or if you start to hold it over him like some kind of bargaining chip, when we say, I'm fasting to make my prayers more powerful, as if God only listens to us when we're in discomfort or pain. But I think the truth is that God wants us to fast and pray because it's good for us, not because we have to prove ourselves to him. Think about it. If you're a parent and your child asks you for something, do you say, only if you really make yourself suffer first? Now, you might ask your child to take a break from something they're enjoying before you give them something else. You know, maybe you're going to ask them to work hard on some school grades before you give them the thing that they want. 
And that's because you believe that that education and working hard and getting those grades will be good for them in the long run. You'd probably allow them to eat some ice cream, but not if they ate a whole box of cookies first. And it's not because you don't want them to have too much pleasure in your life. It's, you know, denying them the cookies isn't because you think it's some kind of reward for not eating cookies that they get ice cream. It's because you're trying to help them enjoy the best life they can. And we know that too much of these delicious foods are damaging to their bodies, or at least will fill them up to the point that they won't eat the nutritious foods that we need to help them experience good health in their bodies. When I had severe ME, I had to learn to manage my energy levels and something might have sounded really fun, but knowing that it would require so much energy from me that I might not even be able to do the basics like getting myself to the bathroom without having help for the next week or two, I would deny myself things that looked fun for my own benefit and good. And sometimes we'd even go out and my husband would say to me, we, you look like we need to go home soon. And I'd be saying no, because I'm having such a good time. But ultimately, if I didn't listen, he was better at spotting the signs of fatigue in me than I was. Being autistic, my, inter- my interoception isn't great. And that's being able to recognise my body's own cues and signals. So sometimes he was more aware that I was doing my body harm than I was. And so he might say to me, we need to leave this club. And if I didn't listen, I was going to have to pay the price for that. I firmly believe that our good father encourages us to fast and pray because it is good for us and not because he leads us to do it. And the thing is, the science bears that out too. And it's not just about fasting food, by the way. Fasting gaming can help with resetting dopamine levels and allow you to experience more happiness and joy in your life. Fasting screens, blue light, can help to reset our circadian rhythms. Fasting caffeine can lower blood pressure and reset hormones. And fasting specific inflammatory foods can give the body time to reset the immune system and heal. But let's be honest, most often if we're talking about fasting, we're talking about food or drink. And there's some amazing photos of people who've given up alcohol, which I'll pop in the show notes, because I think they're really inspiring. And if you're thinking about giving up alcohol, for a longer period or even just for a short period of time, then these can be some really good motivation for you and they're worth a look. I often run short cleanses and fasts. Um, I used to work as a juice therapist and run juice fasts. And doing this together as a group adds some accountability, avoiding that public social media um, big pride thing with all your friends but still gives you the accountability of working together with other people who are committed to doing the same thing and I think that can be really helpful and so just like these photos could be inspiring for you to give up alcohol it might be something you want to look into is doing some kind of group cleanse or fast together with other people and The beauty of running programs like this is that I like to do them on repeat because 
fasting regularly can help with that mentality of having that reset when our habits have slipped over time. But there's another type of fast which you may have heard more of in faith circles where you fast for 24 hours completely from all food and you only have water. Or you sometimes hear of um, dawn to dusk fasts where you only eat when the sun is down. And that's the type of fasting I want to talk about now, the type of fasting where we completely abstain from food. Your body is designed to work at its best when you fast regularly. We always think about fueling our body when we talk about nutrition, but actually giving it a break from input can be really healthy and good for you as well. A fast begins when your body switches from using sugar or glucose in the blood as its primary source of fuel and it starts to use ketones and fats. And you can force the body to do this more quickly by exercising, having not eaten. But in general, it happens for most people after about 12 to 13 hours from when they last ate anything containing sugars or carbohydrates. Think about that. Most people are not getting 12 to 13 hours of sleep at night. So if you're eating something, a small snack or even just a cup of tea with a bit of milk in it before you go to bed, and then you're eating immediately when you wake up first thing in the morning, you're probably never getting into this fasting state that your body requires for health. Now, when I say something with carbohydrate in it, um, that's all carbohydrates. So oftentimes when we talk about carbs, people like to think about food groups like potatoes or rice or bread. And we talk about carbs in nutrition as food groups because it's easier for people to understand that these are high carbohydrate foods or foods that have more carbohydrate than protein or more carbohydrate than fat. But even fresh fruits, vegetables, meat, dairy, they all contain carbohydrate, just like vegetables and even grains contain proteins. Natural foods are complex and varied sources of nutrition. So be aware that pretty much anything is going to contain some sugars or some carbohydrate. There are some small exceptions, but mostly anything you pick up is going to contain that. Your body it likes to draw energy from a few different places, but its primary energy source that it always prioritizes is the glycogen stores and your blood sugar. And so as long as those are being kept filled up, you will always be using them, glycogen and blood sugar, to fuel your body. And glycogen is glucose that's been stored in your muscles and your liver. And there's a good reason for this, right? Your body doesn't want to have high blood sugar levels, so it uses that up as its first source to make sure that your blood sugar remains stable. So let's imagine that you are doing six small meals a day and you eat every two and a half hours. So you're constantly replacing your glycogen and replenishing the glucose stores in your blood. How then will you ever get to using those fat stores and ketones? How do you ever burn fat if you keep burning the glucose and the glycogen that you keep eating? 
This is a mistake I often see people doing when they're trying to lose weight and they're doing a lot of cardio exercise and they eat lots of carbohydrates before and after. Um, they're not burning fat, they're burning that sugar that's in the blood. So when you have these glycogen stores in your body, liver and muscles, all of that needs to be fully metabolized before your body will even start looking to move into ketosis or this fat burning state. Now, if you eat a ketogenic diet, which has become fashionable on and off, you, you know, science and nutrition diet things, trends seem to come and go, don't they? But if you're eating a ketogenic diet and focusing largely on fats and proteins with very little carbohydrate, you can get into a slow form of ketosis, usually in around 10 days, but it varies massively depending on your metabolism. However, if you fast food entirely, you will get there a lot quicker, meaning that you don't have to rely on a specific diet as long as you are leaving enough space between times when you're eating. There's often an idea that's been promoted in diet culture that eating small regular meals is going to be important to keep your metabolism from slowing and to prevent starvation mode. But that's actually a myth. Your body doesn't go into starvation mode and start lowering your metabolism until you haven't eaten anything at all for 72 to 96 hours. Your metabolism is a lot more robust than you think in terms of starvation. Now, when you have one meal, that's 2,000 calories, you burn the exact same amount of calories digesting that meal as you would if you'd spread it into those six meals throughout the day. And the easiest way to get there, in my mind, is to stick to something called intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating. And this is where you just restrict your eating window in a day so that you're having an early dinner or a late breakfast or even just skipping one of those meals. And the benefit of this type of fast is that you can do most of it while you're asleep, which makes it a lot easier to stick to. And before the martyrs start telling me that if I'm asleep, this isn't really a sacrifice, I want to remind you of my previous point. God does not want you to suffer for no reason. It doesn't make you more virtuous. In fact, you could make a biblical argument anyway from Genesis for the fact that the day does start with an evening. Evening, then morning was the first day. And so actually we're fasting the first part of the day when we fast during our sleep. When we're sleeping, we're beginning the day with an act of trust. We're surrendering our will and our consciousness and leaving God in charge while we sleep. Other options could include fasting every other day, so you get a full 36 hours or so between dinner on day one and breakfast on day three. And the wonderful thing about this type of fast is that it doesn't have to be something that you do once a year or that you save up for a special religious holiday. Although, if you want to, those are good reminders in our calendar to help us think about and reassess our habits. The best part about this type of fast is it can be a routine part of a healthy lifestyle rather than something that's so restrictive that you're desperate to binge after you've done it. You don't need any specific calorie intake 
which is great because calorie restricted diets have actually been proven to cause people to crave sugary foods after a few days. It's also harder to build a habit when your schedule is going up and down. And so fasting each day, making it part of your routine, makes it a habit that becomes really easy. And intermittent fasting became really popular in around 2010, 2011. So if you're someone like me who loves to dive into the research, have a look back through medical journals of that era and you should be able to find plenty to pique your interest. Researchers at the Duke Medical Center found that the only approach that increased survival rates with animals with cancer across multiple species without any supplements was continuous fasting. And that is fasting where you don't touch food for multiple days at a time. And in fact, it increased their lifespans by 30%, which was huge. And intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating had almost identical benefits. The International Journal of Obesity found that not only is intermittent fasting better for managing weight than continuous fasting, or obviously not fasting, but it's also far superior in managing metabolic disease markers like high cholesterol or blood pressure, triglyceride levels, your heart rate and more. There are tons of health benefits to fasting, but I just want to highlight a few of them for you. Firstly, normalising insulin sensitivity, boosting mitochondrial energy and efficiency, and increasing growth hormone production, which is your anti-aging hormone. I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a moment. Lowering inflammation generally in your body, lowering your triglyceride levels, helping you to shed unnecessary fat, and particularly the sort of damaging fat that gathers around organs eliminating sugar cravings, reducing oxidative stress, increasing longevity in your DNA, um, increasing brain function. We're going to talk about BDNF and ketones in a few minutes and lowering your blood pressure. All amazing reasons to be looking at fasting. So your body likes to target fat burning in the morning because you've been asleep and it's when your glycogen stores are at their lowest. So choosing to exercise before breakfast will have a massive impact on how efficient your exercise is at burning fats. And this isn't just a cosmetic issue for people who want to lose weight. Fat surrounding your organs is a really big health risk. Have you ever heard of the term skinny fat? My husband used to train loads and he always carb-loaded before and after exercise because that's what he was taught in the academies for the sports clubs that he was training with. And whilst he looked really fit, interestingly, he actually carried more fat around his organs than I did when we had it tested a few years back. And you would never have guessed that to look at us. I mean, it's not true now because he eats a better diet and we know better, but the myth that you need to load up on pasta before a race is actually causing serious damage to people's organs and can catch up with sports professionals later on in life. The whole, I can eat what I want if I burn it off, it's just not true. Dr. Kate Shanahan's the nutritionist for the LA Lakers and she tells an amazing story of one of her athletes who could just not recover from his surgery until they cut all processed food and sugar from his diet. He wasn't obese, he was an incredibly fit professional athlete. He didn't have lots of health issues, 
Everyone thought he was fit and healthy, the perfect specimen of a man. The only sign that his body was struggling was the inability to recover from an injury. No amount of exercise or training will make up for a bad diet. And so exercising before breakfast and burning a good amount of fat for fuel, you may feel lightheaded at first, it might feel strange, your heart might feel a bit fluttery, but it's very short term and you do get used to it. If you make it a habit within a few weeks, you won't experience those symptoms anymore. It's another good reason that when you're kickstarting a new lifestyle, working with a group of of other people, like a small community where you can discuss what you're feeling and what you're going through together can be super helpful for getting you through it. These sorts of symptoms happen to people who aren't used to burning fat, but once you do get past it, you will find that you feel so much better when your body's working in this mode. Now, I said we were gonna talk about human growth hormone it's sometimes called the fitness hormone or the anti-aging hormone. And as you get older, you don't produce it as efficiently. And this is what causes an aging effect. And you start to lose longevity. You get markers in your DNA that will change how quickly and efficiently your cell turnovers happen. This human growth hormone is used for healing, growth and repair in the body. And it's one of the reasons that we often say sleep is so important, because when we're sleeping, our body produces lots and lots and lots of this hormone when we're sleeping. Maybe it's because we're not eating. Well, yeah. The research says that it turns out insulin and human growth hormone are indirectly related. So when insulin is high in your body, you can't release human growth hormone. Insulin is released into your bloodstream every time you eat something. Every time you raise your blood sugar, the body releases insulin and pumps it into the cells so it can be used. So if we haven't consumed a meal and the blood sugar remains low, then the body doesn't need to pump glucose across that cell membrane. And so it doesn't produce insulin, which leaves the pituitary gland and the liver free to release human growth hormone. When you're sleeping, you're not eating and so your insulin level can start to drop and that's why you make massive amounts of human growth hormone. But it doesn't just have to be when you're sleeping. It turns out if you lower your insulin levels by consuming less sugar or restricting your eating window that you can increase your human growth hormone levels. In fact the American College of Cardiology found that intermittent fasting increased those levels by 1300% in women and by over 2,000% in men. Now, I also said we're gonna talk about brain function, and this is one that people talk a lot about with fasting, particularly those who do it regularly for prolonged periods. They say they have more mental clarity or increased awareness and productivity. You might hear Christians talk about it, but with a slightly different lens and vocabulary. They'll say that after fasting, they found it easier to pray or easier to connect with God. But ultimately, we're all saying the same things. Our brains are thinking more clearly and feeling more connected. When you start to burn fat for energy, your fat stores release ketones into the bloodstream. And that's your brain's preferred source of food. 
Your brain likes using ketones as an energy source rather than glucose. It just doesn't often get access to them because we keep feeding it glucose. So when you're running on ketones, it's like fueling with premium unleaded instead of the cheap fuel. And everything just runs smoother. If your brain gets ketones instead of glucose, you're going to see increased memory recall and increase in concentration. And it's a protective factor against Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. In fact, I've even heard of pediatric nutritionists who talk about making sure that particularly ADHD children are getting lots and lots of fats because so often we see their brains are literally starving and just getting more ketones can really help them to perform more efficiently, which if you're someone with ADHD like myself, efficiency is key to you being able to keep up with your neurotypical classroom. And these effects, they're not undone if we eat or skip a day. Each day that we choose to fast, we, we can tip the needle that little bit further towards health. And we're nudging ourselves one step closer to health instead of disease. And that's why I think the spiritual discipline of fasting regularly, as prescribed in the Bible, like every other thing that God asks for us, is for us and not for him. It's always for our benefit. I mentioned uh, BDNF earlier, or brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and it's a protein that activates stem cells. Now, when you're in a fasted state, so you've gone the required number of hours without food, you start to see an increase in your BDNF, which is over 400%, and that stimulates stem cells in the brain to produce new neurons, nerves, brain cells, and it preserves the health of your neuromuscular junctions. These are the parts where your nerve joins into your muscle. And a lot of time when people lose strength as they age, it's actually to do with defects in the neuromuscular junction where the nerve and the muscle join up. So it's not really that the muscle itself is going bad, although muscle wastage can happen, but you feel weaker because more effort is required from the brain to make that junction do its job as it starts to deteriorate. And this is especially true for people who have long-term health conditions like ME or fibromyalgia. And obviously we can't talk about fasting and not talk about insulin sensitivity. I've mentioned insulin earlier, but insulin resistance is linked to every single chronic disease that is out there. It destroys your blood vessels. It can cause heart disease, cancer, diabetes, liver disease, strokes, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, and more. When we become sensitive to insulin, or when we are sensitive to insulin, I should say, we only need a very small amount to pump glucose into our cells. It's efficient, and that's really good for us. It's a great way for our body to regulate how much sugar is in the blood and make sure that we remain healthy. When someone becomes insulin resistant, they can eat the same meal and release the same amount of glucose into the body, but the problem is the body's not responsive to the insulin anymore. And so you're going to need a lot more of it to do the same job. And that's okay, our body's pretty adaptive and you start to just produce a bit more insulin each time. But as you start reducing as you start increasing the amount of insulin that you're releasing into the body, it starts to increase the resistance and your body starts to 
recognise it less, it becomes bored and tolerant and goes, oh, that's here all the time. And so then you have to work a bit harder to produce more insulin. And we get into this cycle where our insulin becomes really inefficient at drawing glucose into the cells and out of the bloodstream. And so you become left with a condition called hyperinsulinemia. It's really just a fancy word for saying there's too much insulin in your blood. And you'll often hear doctors talk about a condition called pre-diabetes. So if you think about it, eating regularly six meals a day means that you're keeping your blood sugar high all day, which means that your insulin is raised all day. And so your body gets used to it being around and it starts to lose that shock effect when it comes in that tells your body it's time to do something. So I am a big fan of fasting intermittently and making sure that we are regularly resetting those insulin levels and giving our body a break. So let's talk practically about what intermittent fasting or fasting overnight could look like for you. The easy part has already been done whilst you're asleep. Hopefully you're sleeping around seven or eight hours a day. So that's your first seven to eight hours of fasting done. Easy peasy. And you didn't even know you were doing it. Fantastic. Next, feel free to skip breakfast. Now, I'm only talking to adults in this podcast. This is not suitable for children, okay? Because A, your children have faster metabolisms than you and therefore get into ketosis quicker than you. But B, your child probably ate dinner a lot earlier than you did, so they've already fasted longer. And they do need to eat regularly because they have these quicker metabolisms. You'll notice this if you had a child who was very slim up until puberty or, um, you know, up until their mid-later teen years. And then they suddenly started to put on more weight, even though they were eating the same and even though they did the same levels of activity, their metabolisms are beginning to slow down. So this episode is just for adults. We can talk about children another time, maybe. But yeah, if you're an adult and you want to start fasting, a great way to do that is just to skip your breakfast. If you do want to have something for breakfast other than a large glass of water, you could have a herbal tea or a black tea. Just make sure if you're getting a herbal tea that it doesn't have sugars or sweeteners added to it. Um, If you want something more filling, This is where people tend to get excited about something called bulletproof coffee. You essentially blend coffee with a spoonful of coconut oil and it will foam up like a latte if you've got a powerful enough blender to emulsify it. But there's none of the milk sugars in it. And so it still counts as part of your fast because fats don't break your fast. It's the sugar that does so or the carbohydrate that does so. And coconut oil doesn't contain any. Now, I said before that exercising during a fast is a really great way to speed it up and to help your body to progress into that fast ketosis as quickly as possible. So if you can work out in the morning before you have breakfast or if you're skipping breakfast, maybe you could work out on your lunch hour before you eat. That's going to have a far bigger impact on targeting that dangerous fat around your organs than exercising in the evening or any time after you've eaten. And an effective workout really only needs to take around 20 minutes, particularly if you've been fasting. So if you're making your first meal of the day an early lunch, i.e. around 12 noon, 
you should be hungry by then if you've had an active morning. And then your last meal of the day, as long as you finish eating by 7pm, well, that would give you a 7-12 fasting window, which is a 17-hour fast every single day. But you can still be sociable and have meals with other people. You can snack as much as you want between lunch and dinner. And if you want to be more sociable on weekends, you could just do this five days a week and you'd still be having tons of regular fasting. It usually takes around two weeks of this routine before your body shifts into happily functioning on fat. So be aware that in the first couple of weeks, you will probably feel hungry in the mornings before lunch. Being well hydrated can really help with this. So make sure you're keeping up with a water habit and, and drinking enough water. It can be a really important part of helping your body to get through anything you're changing or reducing because not only does it fill you up obviously but your body's primary way of getting rid of waste um, and toxins and metabolic end products the normal things that your body builds up as waste from just living is through your urine or your sweat or your breath periods but all of these require water and so when we start fasting and our body starts to burn fat oftentimes we have been storing toxins we couldn't get rid of in that fat and so you might feel a bit headachey or a bit wobbly to begin with making sure you're drinking lots of water gives your bodies lots of opportunities to get rid of that waste which will help you to feel better overall if you're not a fan of water, as I said, you could try black coffee or herbal teas or you could just add a few drops of essential oil as long as they're food grade and labelled to be used as internal supplements. It's perfectly safe to do so and you'll find that most oils that are the name of a food are safe to take internally. So. If it says something like lemon, lime, peppermint, spearmint, all of those are flavours that you would you know, regularly see in your diet. Those are generally safe essential oils to consume, so long as they come from a company that says they are safe for consumption. Now, two groups of people who should definitely not be doing this are those with congenital hyperglycemia and pregnant and nursing mothers. Pregnant and nursing mothers, you need to just focus on a good diet that is not restrictive. You are going to gain fat stores while you're pregnant and nursing. That's really important hormonally for you to nourish the baby and you can totally deal with it later. The trick is just to gain it healthily and you'll do that if you stick to a good diet. Those with congenital hyperglycemia, so that's not acquired diabetes, you should also not do this. You should work with your doctor and find out what will be helpful for you. If you have adult onset diabetes or type 2 diabetes or acquired diabetes, then fasting like this can really help to improve your insulin sensitivity, but you probably need to ease in. You shouldn't be jumping straight in and trying to do a 17-hour fast. That would be really dangerous for you. Talk to your doctor, maybe start slowly, with an eight hour fast, which you're already doing whilst you're asleep, and then shift your breakfast later by half an hour or an hour a week, 
or make your dinner a little bit earlier by half an hour or an hour until you reach the desired fasting time that you're looking for. And that's good advice for anyone who doesn't want to feel any dramatic effects. You know, as I said, you might start to get headaches or feel a bit wobbly to begin with as your body converts to moving over to using ketones. But you could really move into this fasting as slowly as you want and your body would transition with you with no issues. So if you want to move that clock by 15 minutes a day or 15 minutes a month, you can still be working towards increasing your fasting time without having to go through that couple of weeks period of not feeling so great. And remember, something is better than nothing. So a 10 hour fast is better than eight, a 14 is better than 12. You don't need to jump straight in at an 18 hour fast to get results, although you will obviously get them faster if you do. I hope that helped somebody. And I hope I left you recognizing the fundamental truth that God's plans for you are good to prosper you and not to harm you and that fasting isn't something we do out of pride in fact the bible encourages us to do it in secret so if you need accountability and support from a group for a fast then that's great but maybe this isn't something that you want to make a big deal about publicly and tie yourself into feeling pressure to make bigger plans and bigger goals rather than smaller and sustainable changes that will bless you and your body for life. Now, every year I run a cleanse, usually in the spring or the autumn. Um, I have one coming up in March. If that's something you would like to be taking part in or interested in, do let me know. I'm also thinking as I'm recording this, I'd like to maybe do some kind of Lent program. So I might even podcast daily during Lent, but much shorter episodes. If that's something you'd like to join me for, do hit subscribe. Um, it would be fun to do it together. And I'd love to hear from you what your thoughts are on it. Thanks for hanging out with me while we talked about this topic. And if you loved it, please share with your friends. I'd love to hear from you too. Do get in contact and check out the show notes.